Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What's up, you guys? This is Brian Sumner. Welcome back to the Foolishness Podcast. Hope all is well. You are doing great in the faith despite the ups and downs of life. I'm excited today to jump into this episode. It's been a long time coming. I know we're all busy, but I've got a good, good friend on here who is a husband, a father, businessman, longtime biker, a lot of other crazy stuff I'm sure we're going to hear, but a lead pastor and author and a good, good friend. P. Cropsy, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, brother. Good, good to, to see you. Finally, finally, we get to do this. To hang out, I know. And we, we pretty much started the podcast like 30 minutes ago because we began talking about everything. Yeah, but yeah. What, what's going on with you? You're what? You're cruising over, hanging well, out? And you know, first of all, man, um, you know, I want to just <laughs> visit for a minute the way that you and I met and, mm-hmm. uh, and how... Uh, the the fellowship was instantaneous mm-hmm. you know i just I, it makes me it makes me have goosebumps because uh, <laughs> you know we were at a particular church to be unnamed and yeah. uh, um you know and and we ran into each other there and you were in leadership there and i was mm. just kind of hanging out and um i was actually kind of hiding um you know, I had even though you're like six four, are you or <laughs> yeah, what? Well, where were you six, hiding? Six three under like you know, a tundra. Yeah, truck? I, I, you know, I was taking I was taking a sabbatical for ministry. You know, I'd been a senior <laughs> pastor, and um, and I, I needed I needed I, you know I was I was in that place where um, mm. I was doing a lot of ministry on my own strength. Yeah, and not really. You know, like I was putting my pigeonholing my wife into a situation where I don't have time for you, and mm-hmm. you know it was just getting bad. And the Lord spoke to me and said, "Dude, you need to go sit somewhere with your wife and just be in church." And um, so I did. You know, I, I took her to this particular church where you and I met, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, I was uh, went back to the basics, man. I was uh, changing air conditioning filters and patching holes in walls and sweeping and um, <laughs> scrubbing toilets and and singing. Yes, you know what I mean. I would I had my headphones on and. I'd be listening to a Bethel or, you know, just rocking out, man. I mean, we're walking around the building and everybody's like, wow, you, you know, you're, you sing terribly, but it's good that you're singing, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you're right and, there with me. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, um, and that was where you and I met and, uh, yeah. you know, and so because our theology and our doctrine is so, um, mm. so lined up together, we always had just the greatest conversations. And I remember mm-hmm. meeting with you before church on Sunday mornings and just having these conversations and I would leave so, uh, um, <laughs> I would leave so light. Amen. Know? And it's great, man. So we see each other here and there over the years, the, you know, the Beach Fest and different things. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Ryan stuff that we see each other at and uh, Ryan Reese. And, yeah. Um, and now it's just really great to have this opportunity to hang out with you and just kind of yuck it up and chat about the Lord. And um, Amen. Yeah, and I appreciate it. I was in the other room today, you know, we're, we're kind of demolishing part of the house and there was a good, great theology book you gave me. And I know even then... Foundations of the Christian Faith by James right. Montgomery Boyce, right? right? I remember and giving I gotta, that to you. I got to finish the last chapter, I think. But even then, I'm seeing you this... I mean, you just told me today you're 64. I oh, mean, boy. That's, Why'd you have to say that? Man? But listen, that's crazy. I mean, you're 6'4", head-to-toe tattoos, lived a bunch of crazy lives. We don't know if this is going to be one episode or two, but I just remembered then, even early enough on in my faith, having these conversations where here's this guy and... I get it. You were hiding. You'd come out of a season. You're like, Lord, I just want to be in a place worshiping, lifting you up. We had those conversations. And so that must have been 10 years ago, 10, maybe, 10, 11, or something. And so, yeah. and for all those people who are younger, who are like, you know, we don't get to hang out with people as much. You do have these encounters like Pastor Pete and myself, where we just know what we're doing, where we are. You, you're a lead pastor. I mean, you've got your wife, your kids, your life. 
Instagram in some ways keeps us all accountable to what right. we're all doing. Yeah. I can check in with people, but then when you get to hang out with them again, I mean, this is the fellowship of the saints. I mean, it is a light feeling. We're talking about Jesus. We're making fun of stuff. We're joking around. It's like we're breaking bread. So, amen. Yeah, you know, the, the beauty of, uh, for me, bro, is that, you know, that was a season where I, I you know, the Lord wanted to show me that um, mm. I was putting the church before my relationship with him. Mm-hmm. I was putting the church before my relationship with my wife and my children. Mm-hmm. And I thought that I was doing well. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, the church was growing. Uh, you know, people were getting saved. I was, you know, a lot of people were coming forward in the altar call every Sunday. Like, I'm doing this right. Yeah. And, but I felt my relationship with Dawn um, yeah. slipping away. And I, I and I put her in the back seat, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I remember when I was in Calvary Chapel School of Ministry and, and Pastor yeah. Chuck came and, and he taught every Tuesday morning and, and I, I would sit right in the front, like in the raincoat seats, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like um, yeah. right in front. Well, um, you'd feel the spit, the baptism yeah, seats. Right, yeah, right, yeah. And, 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 and I remember him saying, he goes, you know, don't, just because you've been called to the ministry, don't expect your wife to be called to the ministry. Don't expect mm-hmm. her to be a Kay. Mm-hmm. Don't expect her to be a Kathy Laurie. Don't expect her. Just let her be who she is in the Lord. Yeah. yeah. And I thought that I was doing that, but I, what I didn't realize is that my wife has an incredible calling. Mm-hmm. And after that season where we were, um, where you and I met, yeah. um, I began to see my wife's um, ministerial gifts yeah. you know, more, more powerfully. And now, you know, at First Love Church in Costa Mesa, we, we currently, she's a pastor there, Yeah, you know, yeah. And, 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 you know, and she just is, man. Yeah. And, and yeah. there's no question in anybody's mind. And she yeah. gets up there with me on Sunday morning and she has her five, 10 minutes where she's edifying the body and, yeah. and sharing. And, and I look at her in awe, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Well, I know at our church, when you hear our lead pastor and I tell his wife, you know, and She's timid, then she can be wild like all of our wives. But when a wife comes up and shares, she is in sync with her husband. And she does know the ups and downs. And you can catch just as much vision for where they sit in the church. And as a guy like myself that's going all the time, I need to be home out of church hearing the pastor speak vision for the next few months, hearing the wife, seeing the elders and all that. So, and you know, for those who don't know my wife, yes, she's been on some of the episodes, but she is timid, doesn't want to be at the forefront, and kind of like your wife. They have but she's a own, tough one, though. She's, well, she's tough. I mean, she's the toughest person to me because she knows when to tell me why you're doing this, why yeah, you're thinking that. Yeah, uh, they're a lot alike. But then your wife has that ministry in the way she has her job, where for my wife, she does her raw bacon now, and she gets to engage people. And there's things I might have told her six years ago that she didn't even respond to. That I'll hear from the other room telling someone on the phone. I'm like, uh-huh. you've been waiting on that for six years to affirm what I said. Yeah, so yeah, it's so funny. I've been <laughs> I've been I've been under the uh, mentoring of a guy named Dr. Charles Browning. Um, mm-hmm. He's the guy that uh, Pastor Chuck always um, used to send the broken pastors to. You know what I yeah. mean? And I've been broken a couple of different times. And uh, yeah. and and I, you know, in fact, I was appointed to go see him many, many, many years ago, and I didn't. And uh, during that episode of my life where, you know, we were at that church where you and I met, yeah. um, I started seeing him and, and he's been, um, Dr. Charles Browning, he's the most incredible man. Um, mm-hmm. He's like a father to me. I never had a father. Wow. Uh, you know, well, I had a father, but he, yeah. he, he didn't know that, um, yeah. you know, or didn't show that in any, anyway, and we'll get into that as we yeah. go. But, uh, you know, Dr. Browning, um, he said to me, you know, he said, uh, yeah, so... Uh, yeah, the two will leave their father and their mother and become one flesh. And um, let me tell you something, Pastor Pete. Yeah. <laughs> uh, if you're not um, fully taking advantage of your wife's contribution to the relationship in your ministry in the Lord, then you're only operating at about half your capacity. Hmm. And then he paused and he said, no, 
In your case, probably a lot less. <laughs> and I took it to heart, man. You know, and so now, you know, our church is just flourishing. Wow. We're busting at the seams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a new season. Our worship team has just, I mean, we have got... Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when we first started in my garage with like five or six people, and I would make these little CD compilations for mm-hmm. worship on Sunday with Jeremy Camp and Chris mm-hmm. Tomlin, and you know, <laughs> and uh, and I, you know, do four songs, and I'd, you know, be up there and I'd, with the remote on the, on the, on the, just boom clicking box, along, you know, on the boom box, and then I'd preach my message, and then it would hit the boom box for a closing song, and, and I know uh, what a boom box is. I don't think Isaac knows what a boom box is. He knows what an iPod is. Yeah. 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 So, you know, now we have we have this band. Um, yeah. And, and it's so funny because it's one band. Yeah. But it covers all our services. So, it, you know, there's different personnel in the lineup. And what's beautiful about it is mm-hmm. I'm just seeing this harmony in this. There's no posturing up like, well, I'm the worship leader or I'm in charge. You know, everybody's yeah. just submitted to one another. Yeah. And that, for me, is a sign of solid leadership, well, a that, that the Holy Spirit is leading. You know, we don't yeah. have striving, and we don't have, you know, everybody's Jockeying just there to serve with a, with, a, with a heart for the Lord, and um, and it <laughs> spreads, and it goes throughout our entire church, you know, it's like, you know, we know that he who has been forgiven much loves much, mm-hmm. and so I think, and I, and I share from the Pope's, I go, you know... I think one of the reasons that there's so much love in this church is because he has been forgiven much love much, and we've been forgiven a lot around mm-hmm. here, and, and particularly mm-hmm. me. When I think about the times I've re-crucified Christ yeah. consistently <laughs> over and if over If those verses in Hebrews and, were applied to you and not to the nation of Israel, I'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> yeah, I'd be in a lot of but, trouble. And for those listening, guys, uh, Pastor Pete has a church, First Love, it's in Costa Mesa, and it literally... <sighs> Pete has been a staple in many of the surf, skate, you know, all these different industries, knows everyone, whether it's living in Hawaii, here. And I say that because you guys chose to meet at the Hurley headquarters. So the world-famous Hurley, they gave you this space. Hey, you well, want to use so this? Well, it's so funny how that happened because yeah. we were, after we grew out of the, my garage. And, yeah, um, we had it's to, relevant to tell people yeah, this we is had, good. we had to find a venue and we ended up in this little community center inside a residential neighborhood. And um, <laughs> because I come out of the biker lifestyle... It's so weird. I, didn't, I never. I was always confused. Am I a biker? Am I a cowboy? Am I a surfer? Because I've done all of those things. And, Are you um, Greek Jew? Are you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but 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 it's funny because you know we were meeting at this community center and a lot of the setup crew were biker guys. Yeah. And um and they'd show up at seven in the morning, roaring through the neighborhood. You know, and I kind of kind of idle in. You know, but it's it, you can't really do that. Yeah. With straight pipes on a Harley. Yeah. And uh, so it wasn't. You know, it was about nine months there before the community kind of got in an uproar and said, oh, we, you know, and and they were very gracious they gave us 60 days to find another venue wow. so i'm having lunch with ryan hurley yeah and uh and i told him you know we lost our we lost our place and he's like what are you gonna do and totally jokingly i said to him i said i think we're coming to hurley yeah <laughs> and uh, bob was there and paul gomez who is a strong brother in the mm-hmm. lord and um is still you know in my know da- paul in well. my daily life yeah. yeah you do and so paul was the ceo at hurley at the time so paul and ryan and, and bob and i are having lunch and I, I i told him the story and and ryan's like well what are you gonna do and i i said i guess uh, i guess we're coming to hurley and i was joking and bob goes that works for me and paul goes come by monday morning and we'll get you set up. And, and this I, is before they were sold to Nike. So yeah, it was it was decided. just Hurley then. Yeah. yeah. And, well, there's uh, an English saying, "Many a true word spoken in jest." So though you were joking, God had some favor. God right had there, some so. favor, man. So we, you know, I rolled wow. in there Monday morning, and they gave us their whole town hall, made provisions Crazy. for us to have our children's ministry. We've been there 12 years. Wow. And, I know uh, I've been over there a couple times. I'm like, so you literally have a skate park that used to be there. Yeah. And they'd record. And the reason I'm saying this, guys, is because. 
I know Pastor Pete's going to unpack some of this even, but generally within Huntington, Orange County, there is this thriving band, uh, motorcycle kind of raging lifestyle. It is in the East Coast where it's the accolades and the schools. Here it's like get into a band, surf, skate. It's kind of smoking a bit of weed. And martial I say arts. Lot, martial arts, but then it's like the downside is drugs, weed, speed, meth, dead. Yeah. So how do you catch those people that are the generation between us even, you know what I mean, from 20 through to 60, you need, yes, it's the gospel, but you need to be able to relate to those people that you've met for decades now. Well, you know, this is probably a good time to go back in, into my story a yeah. little bit because, Unpack you know, I, like you said, you know, I've lived in Hawaii and I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, like I go to Kauai and it's like, Uncle Pete, Uncle Pete, Uncle yeah. Pete. But, you know, uh, my wife says, you know, you're like the mayor of everywhere we go. And I, you know, and that's the favor of the Lord. Yeah. You know, that's fog, favor yeah. of God, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm a big guy and I'm tattooed from head to foot and I make an impression where I go. And, you but know, you smile a lot. Yeah. So, no, here's the thing. <laughs> when I was a prospect in the Vagos Motorcycle Club 30 yeah. years ago, um, you know, there was this old, salty old brother, man. And he's like, you're a big dude. And, uh, <laughs> kind of scary and i'm like yeah i know you know i was all that was all i loved hearing that yeah and he says so i got some information for you man he goes uh if you're gonna be really big you need to be really nice yeah so everywhere you go here's my assignment for you mm. everywhere you go you put your hand out and you shake people's hands and you be the peacekeeper and you be the promoter and you be the guy that puts down the bullies and raises up the the downtrodden mm. it's an outlaw biker i mean a killer there's a really. methodology to this. Yeah, yeah. The, this dude is a straight-up killer, right? And he's telling me all of this stuff. He goes, you need to be the guy that always has a smile on your face, that hugs and loves on mm. people, that that protects people that can't protect themselves. Mm. And, um, and and because what's going to happen is if you go the other route and you have your chest out and you act all prideful, um, when you yeah. need to hide, nobody's going to hide you. Mm-hmm. You're that guy that everybody loves because you've loved them first. And mm-hmm. this is so yeah. scriptural, yeah. you know, coming from this out, old salty outlaw biker yeah. who had never been in a church in his life. Meth head, you know, just yeah. a dirty old biker, man. And he's like, you know, if you love people mm. and you need help, their doors will always be open to you. Even in a crazy kind of Even killing machine crazy, lifestyle. Yeah. 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 And I, I took that to heart, man. I, I was also, I was, I was on the, on the yard at Tracy, a prison that they call the gladiator school. That's the nickname for Tracy dual vocational Institute in Stockton. And, uh, I'm, I'm on the, I'm on the yard and, uh, uh, there was this guy there named Bubba and, uh, Bubba weighed, I don't know, three and a quarter so that's actually where Bubba was huh the, the Bubba you hear in all the movies no. he actually was <laughs> yeah, there no. no this guy's name really was Bubba and it's not a it's not a, a, a you know an yeah. alias but um this guy was like he looked like a refrigerator with a watermelon on top <laughs> and covered with tattoos I mean this guy has face face tattoos before face tattoos were even a thing yeah you know? and, yeah uh, um and and he was the meanest hmm just a not a charitable guy. I mean, he was a bully and he was a predator and he was a sexual predator and, wow. and, and in the prison in as well. prison. Wow. And he had been at Tracy for 12 years and um, he was like two weeks from paroling. So I'm on the way pile with this guy named Lee Vaught, who was old school Orange County gangbanger. Um, uh, you know, and I, I was fortunate to be trained up in the ways of the prison lifestyle by some really solid, you know, I yeah. mean, you know, I look at it now and I'm like, gee, I wish my heroes would have been like Joe Namath or, yeah. you know, but they weren't. I Mr. Picked, Rogers. Yeah, I picked I picked the wrong heroes. Um, but he was one of them. And so we're on the weight pile. And Lee says, wow, watch this. And and Bubba's on the bench press. He's got like 400 pounds. And he's just slamming it around like it's Tinker Toys. Yeah. And uh, I see this guy slithering up. This little guy. Beanie pulled way down. Yard, big baggy yard jacket. Gloves. 
shades and he's packing a piece and uh, he comes up and he pokes Bubba in the chest about five or six times. And all that weight, that bar with that 400 pounds came down on Bubba's head, popped it like a watermelon, what? brains everywhere. Right? What? And, uh, and, and my friend Lee says, uh, grasshopper, what did you learn from that? Now we're face down in the dirt and, you know, there's a big sign on the fence, no warning shots fired, you know, and, and, uh, and he goes, what'd you learn from that grasshopper? And I, I wow. said, well, I don't know. And he's like, if you're going to be really big, you better be really nice. <laughs> so I heard that twice. Twice. So that's and a thing that's... That's been the, a theme for so me. So this guy's about to get out of prison, and he, is, does he end up dying, or what? Oh, yeah. His head was popped. Like, I mean, I got, there was brains everywhere. Why? Was he, it just, for him. he just was over the guy? This because guy was a lifer? This guy just... had been, you know, this young, small wow. guy was sick and tired of being booted around, and I don't know what was going on, you know, what, what Bubba was actually doing to him, but he could it have was, been the same it was kind of celebrated... Thing. You know, I mean, I looked up at the guard tower and while this is happening, the guard is turning around, filling his thermos. So he knew maybe either he's like, whatever. That's my assumption. Yeah. Wow. But so did you, were you not a nice guy back then? Were you, cause we we can unpack. No, you know what? I've always been a nice guy. So even, even when you were in this motorcycle thing, you, you would just find your place and someone says, Hey, you're this big, you better be nice. And what even led you to I already spoke to my character. Yeah. yeah, I was already nice, man. I, you know, I. Well, well, to, to to me, you're a truth guy. I feel like I was always a truth guy, whether it was growing up with the Bruce Lee influence of you know stripping back the levels till the truth revealed. That that's that's most of us. Well, that's why you and I connected so much. Yeah, to go into that philosophy side, but yeah. then it was then it became the theology and the depth. So, so I mean, you're, before I ever heard anything about God, man, I was reading like you know Siddhartha by Hess, and mm-hmm. and and, and, uh, and you know one of my favorite Hess books is a book called Narcissus and Goldman, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a very poetic story. And Narcissus is this parochial school teacher in England, and and Goldman is this very poetic young boy who comes under the tutelage of Narcissus, and and I you know I came away from that feeling like it was a story of the duality conflict inside of one person. You know, mm-hmm. the the stoic, serious. Yeah, um, disciplined, legalistic yeah. person wrestling with their desire for poetry and for love and for joy and for beauty and for you know yeah you and, got uh, what it was right right yeah. right so you know I, I always was like I mean I, I maybe coming from a bicultural upbringing you know I, when my when I was seven my mom and I moved to Puerto Vallarta Mexico I was the only white kid in town was there for a few years mm-hmm. um, and then you know living being like the only Howley in the North Shore of Kauai. Well, there was a few, but, you know. <laughs> you and the, it, the Irons brothers. Yeah, yeah. And, that, you know, <laughs> Jack I'm, I'm 50 years older than those guys. So, you know, 40 years old. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, but, um, yeah, so I, I don't know. You know, it's funny. Oh, I might as well just go right back and, and, yeah. and jump off in this thing with, like. Uh, yeah, because people are just. When the mass. doctor pulled, you know, spanked my butt and I cried. Uh, <laughs> we'll go from there. Yeah. No, but. I, I remember, you know, I, I grew up in the 60s, and, and I grew up in Laguna Beach, California, which is the epicenter of the LSD, Timothy Leary, tune in, turn mm-hmm. on, drop out, Baba Ram Das, be here now, you know, generation. I grew up on Eastern mysticism. Yeah. And, uh, but when I was uh, oh, four or five years old, my dad was working in Hollywood, and we were living in Laguna Beach, and um, he was, only came home on the weekends, mm-hmm. and um uh, I remember one Friday night waiting for him to come home, and it was getting really late. And my mom's like, "You need to go to bed." And uh, so uh, I do, but I'm standing with my ear plastered up against the door because my bedroom door was adjacent to the living room, and waiting for him to come home. So I could just hear his voice, you know. Yeah. 
And uh, he comes in and uh, like with, without any prelude, my mom says, Charles, I know you're having an affair. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not. Yeah, you are having an affair and I'm not going to be married to a man who doesn't love only me. So I want you out of here. I want a divorce. Just like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and his comment was, okay, I'll be out by the weekend. She's like, no, you'll be out by tomorrow. And, uh, um, and I'm waiting for them to say something about me, you know, and nothing's forthcoming. And that was my first experience with invisibility, invisibility, you know, and I felt, um, abandoned, Mm. felt abandoned. Mm. And so I didn't see my dad for a year and, um, he shows up on my fifth birthday and he has made arrangements with my mom to take me for the day. So we drive, we get in his little VW square back and, and, uh, you know, he's getting really hip looking, long beard, long hair, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, he's full blown he, hippie now. Yeah. And uh, we drive and we drive and we drive north San Diego, out and out behind San Diego, out in the country. And we pull into this place and it turns out to be a nudist camp. Yeah. And that's my fifth birthday present is my dad's wants taking, to show you women. My dad's taking me to nudist camp. I don't, I don't really think so. I don't really think his motives were anything like that. I really think he just had discovered a lifestyle where, you know, he, like I said, he was the Eastern mystic guy and, mm-hmm. and sun worship and that whole lifestyle was so, I mean, this is the, this is the beginning of the happening. hippie era, yeah. you know? Yeah. What People, was that? What was that surf family from down? They had that documentary. Was it Doc? And they had that whole... Oh, Pasquitz family. So it was almost like that whole kind of, hey, just let's be open and flow yeah. with it. And he's going to go down as a bunch yeah. of naked people, whatever. Yeah. And he's bringing his five-year-old kid. Right. And you know, and what's so funny yeah. is I was shocked and, and, and very much afraid. But by the end of the weekend, I was a little nudist. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. So we're I mean, so most adap- kids are. We're anyway. so adaptable, right? You know? <laughs> but... Um, yeah, so you know, wow. I didn't see him again until I was almost ten, or maybe a little over ten. But mm. when I was seven, my mom and I moved to Mexico, and uh, again, I, you know, I'm the only white kid in this entire city. Yeah, and that, at that time, Puerto Vallarta was a, uh, you know, there was a John Ford, who was a big director back then, was making a movie, uh, or John Houston was John Houston mm. making a big movie, uh, you know. Um, uh, with Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton, uh, The Night of the Iguana, filmed mm-hmm. Miss Malloy right it, there. Yeah. And so there was a lot of expatriates hanging out. It was a very hip place. There's always been a huge gay community in, in Puerto yeah. Vallarta. And, uh, but it was, a very, it was very much like Laguna. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I, I fell in love with the culture. I just wanted to be as Mexican as I could be. I'm a little white-haired, you know, brown-skinned kid from <laughs> Laguna Beach. And, uh, you know, I fought every day for the first six months until yeah. finally... You know, here's the thing, man, is if you're getting bullied... yeah. Um, and you're getting bullied by a lot of different people, you're not fighting the same guy every day. Yeah. But you're fighting every day, and they're not. Yeah. So it doesn't take long before your skills... Learn how to duck. Your skills skills get polished, because I know I'm going to fight as soon as I leave the house in the morning. You're having two bowls of cornflakes. Yeah, I might might fight a guy once and then not fight him again for two weeks. In the meantime, you know, I'm fighting every day, so you get good, you know? And I started kicking some booty. Yeah. So they had decided, you know, I don't know if they got together and made a decision, but one day I was just in. You know, they're and, like, we like this kid. Yeah, yeah. we like this kid. He and you went a nudist down there, right? No, you know? no. <laughs> that wasn't why they were fighting you. <laughs> no. okay. But you know, it's funny because I uh, so um, starved for male attention. You know, mm-hmm. no, no dad. My mom was a clothes designer. I was surrounded by models and women. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and one, I, I met this uh, young man. His name was Jesus Chewy. They called him, mm-hmm. and he was a horseman. He was a vaquero, and he uh, he was a 
spear fisherman and a bow hunter and he was in his late 20s and you know he introduced himself to my mom before he ever introduced himself to me mm-hmm. and he became friends with my mom and started saying you know i can teach your son horseback riding i can teach your son bow hunting and mm-hmm. i can teach him and she's like oh that's awesome like because, life skill stuff yeah because he's, he's got no manner would you please would you do that yeah you yeah. know and his whole thing was grooming me you yeah yeah and it was, uh, you know, he won my trust and he won my love and he won my devotion. And then he... Because he know, was the father figure you'd yeah. never... And yeah. then one day we were on a, a bow hunting trip up into the jungle on horseback and he started molesting me. Hmm. And, um, you know, and, and for me, it was like at that point... Um, yeah. You know, it, people think sometimes sexual um, molestation is, is, is violent. And I, I, I know it can be. I know yeah. it can be a kind of a rape situation. But this was more of a nurturing, kind of like developing a relationship of trust. And yeah. It was grooming. It was yeah. grooming in the finest sense. You and you were 11 or 12 or no, something? No, I was 8. 8. And uh, I was 8. And uh, so my first thing is, well, I love this man. You know, I'm not willing to let go of what he's teaching me and the things that we're doing. I couldn't imagine not living with bow hunting and, and, and you know, gigging lobsters. And, you know, so you and, separated, here's one thing and here's the life that I'm enjoying. And I'm like, okay, so my compromise was as long as he doesn't hurt me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not willing to give this stuff up. But the truth is that those things, because perversion being satanic and demonic, yeah. its origins in the bowels of hell... Yeah, cannot help but get more perverted and more, yeah, you know, darker. And yeah, there's darker. a deeper hunger, a deeper uh, yeah. hunger, and, and and you know whether you're taking drugs or whether you're involved in sexuality and it's inappropriate or whatever, you're always going to need more. Yeah. to get you to that same yeah, fitness, place. Fitness, pornography, right? Food, it, there's flavors. It's always a huge escalation. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. you know, but but it began to escalate, and he began to do things that were painful yeah you know? yeah but at the same time there was the threats like um you know if you say anything i'll i'll kill you mm-hmm. you know or i'll kill your mother you know and what were you going to i mean thanks for just being open you know i, I had a friend a few episodes ago tony who shared some of the stuff as well and they said like what one in seven people nowadays has been molested Bro. to where it's so yeah because you have had pastored so many people that have faced these things as well so and you know i'm 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 I'm, I'm a pastor, but I'm also a drug and alcohol counselor. Yeah. I'm state licensed, and I work in different treatment centers. And yeah. I, I am a huge proponent of the 12-step programs. I'm yeah. deeply involved in those since the late 80s. That's how God saved my life, was through yeah. Narcotics Anonymous. Redeeming and, um, all the... And he's told me clearly, do not leave yeah. these programs. And so 95% of First Love Church is people coming out of the rooms of AA and NA <laughs> and out of treatment centers. I Amen. have like 40 kids from treatment centers showing up every Sunday. They come on their druggy buggies, you know. In fact, the book I'm writing right now, on my third yeah. book, is called Druggy Buggy, and it's about my experience working in treatment centers over the last five or six years. Mm-hmm. No, there's, um, even for us, there's a treatment center, I think, down the street here. I got a friend who lives across the street that works in them. I mean, this is, this is Orange County, but you're saying, even before we jump into that, that this whole experience, how did you navigate that? Would you, did you start having this? Because I'll tell you, I'm the passive-aggressive guy that I think if I was walking through the woods in the jungle and experienced that, that guy wouldn't be alive and I know the rage that I've had, you know, for years, just growing up in a place, Liverpool, fight or flight. And they're the things to me are the most like, like our kids don't stay at anyone else's house. And people here are yeah. overprotective. No, and they go, man. Uh, you know, mine don't either, man. I don't let my kids play on the street. Yeah. You know? And nowadays you can't even. So, yeah. so this was, was there a bitterness or a hate? Or was no, there because, like you a, know, for me, I mean, Brian, I didn't become a tough guy. Yeah. 
until much, much, much later in my life. Yeah, I yeah. didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know. You fought because you had to I and you're navigating I had life. To, but my heart was always like, I want to, I want to know these people. I want to love these people and I want them to love me. I mean, I, I wanted to embrace the culture. I wanted to become so part of the culture. So Satan's getting in there early. And, and, and so, you know, um, I, I, I just navigated as best I could. And, and, and again, I was also, you know, one of the characteristics of alcoholism and addiction um, is um, selfishness and self-centeredness. And I wasn't willing to let go of the benefits that I was getting as long mm-hmm. as it wasn't hurting me too bad. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, and, and that's, you know, and what I've discovered about myself is um, one of the biggest enemies that I have in my life has been compromise. Always. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, what happened was... Um, you think it started there because maybe you wanted even to hear your dad's voice on that night. So you just said, man, I'll do anything to, to get closer to what I need to yeah, have this. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But then, so then when the pain began and the, and the more intrusive nature of molestation began to manifest itself, um, I began to get scared. So here's the thing. Every, every Mexican town, um, the centerpiece, because it's a very Catholic um, country, um, the centerpiece of almost every Mexican town is the colonial Catholic church. Mm-hmm. And there was a day, and I was walking through town with my horse, Maya, um, and uh, uh, it was Ash Wednesday, about 11.30 in the morning probably. I'm lost in my thoughts. I'm afraid now of Chewy. I'm, I'm, and, and something that had happened was my mom had met a man named Edward Giddings, a, a John, very John Wayne kind of character. He was down there as an architect builder, and he was this guy. He was, the guy was amazing, mm-hmm. amazing man, but a stone alcoholic. And uh, so he moved in, and um, he kept this gallon of Oso Negro vodka on the counter. So one day I was coming back from an episode with Chewy, and I was hurt. and. Yeah. Um, and I saw that bottle of vodka and I poured myself a glass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my, my disease of addiction and alcoholism had just been waiting for a door to open. And, and, and you know, and, it's and so there's fun. a just reason right there. You take God out of the picture we don't understand yet. This is going to help your pain, your hurt. And it did. This is the practical. Well, here's the thing is that, you know, in Genesis 126, we read, mm-hmm. uh, God said, let us go down and create man in our own image. So we're created in the image of God, which means we have characteristics and attributes that are, are directly inherited from his nature in yeah. us always. Yeah. And before the fall, that was very strong. After the fall, um, yeah. when we when we compromised, uh, you know, um, and I say we because we all would have made the same choices that they made. Yeah. Um, you know, so Satan has now an opportunity to offer offer us an alternative, a substitute, a, 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 yeah. a counterfeit. I did. God really say, uh, yeah. Eat the and fruit. so, and, yeah. but you know, and so, like, yeah, um, I have this other thing for you, mm-hmm. you know, and that for me in that moment, that was the vodka, you know. And I, I drank that vodka that first time, and I was like, it became my solution. And um, it was became daily, and just do that go daily. Into so or... you know, I'm walking through town, and I'm seeing all these people going up into the church and coming out with their little ash mark on their forehead. And I saw this woman, probably in her 80s, mm-hmm. wearing a veil, but I could see through the veil that her face was very damaged, like burned, or you know, half of her face was very much disfigured, and she's on her knees making her way up the stairs to the front of the cathedral, to the big cathedral doors. And, I, and God spoke, mm-hmm. and he said, that's worship. <laughs> and I'm like, and I just started weeping. Amen. And, and God spoke to me right then and there. I, I can't say it was an audible voice, but it sure seemed audible to he me. He knew but, the impression. He, uh-huh. was, he was there. And he said, I love you, and I'll never leave you. Mm-hmm. Two weeks later, I was on a plane to go live with my dad in L.A., mm-hmm. and I was rescued from the whole situation with Chewy. And you never seen the guy again? And I did. Cool. I saw him when I was twenty years old. 
I was by my family's business has been in Mexico for almost 60 years. And I was down there before I got on parole and couldn't go down there. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I was down there, I think I was almost, almost 20 and, um, I saw Chewy and, uh, I was walking through town with my girlfriend at that time and, mm-hmm. um, I happened to look over to the left and there was this doorway of this closed business and, uh, you know, it was recessed and it was dark back there. And I saw this man back there, um, like just homeless and broken and, uh, Mm -hmm. and it was him and, uh, he He saw me and he recognized me and the look of fear on his face. But he was so broken and so destroyed. He had his little bottle of pulque or whatever, you know, and, and, and I saw, the ravages yeah, of his sin. The wages of sin. This is the death that's been brought upon And I him. just told him, I said, Chewie, I forgive you. Mm. you know? Even before you were a believer? Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. Pete, yeah. that's it. Yeah, wow. I, you know, but that's always been my heart, man. Yeah, but look at how God is using it. And some people, especially when we talk about who even these podcasts are aimed for, yes, I love when pastors check in or Christians check in, but there's also people who are going to hear this just because of what you've been through, and they're going to say, well, where was God in this? Guys... This world is crazy, and we're living in the curse. When he told me, I love you, and I'll never leave you, there was also this sense that someday <laughs> I would understand. <laughs> that part I didn't hear, but there was something about that encounter where I, I was waiting for, until I finally did understand. I mm-hmm. was waiting for that point where I knew that someday I would understand. And it happened like this. You know, I... I uh, I came back to live with in LA with my dad and yeah. um and uh uh Laurel Canyon singer songwriter generation jumping off Jackson Brown Joni Mitchell David Crosby the Birds the yeah. association and my dad was a photographer in the music business so I was dumped right in the middle of all this still a full blown nudist yeah. selling weed smuggling hash and uh uh you know and I'm sitting like on the floor in a living room listening to Joni Mitchell and David Crosby jam right yeah. I mean that was smoking weed yeah. you know it was great. Yeah. I mean, you know, that culture. We're just hanging out. This is yeah, what's happening. What a, what, you know, what an amazing time. Now. And now I'm like nine years old. And what an amazing time. This is like 1969, mm. 1968. Um, and uh, uh, this is the low rider, the Sunset Strip, just living oh, the life it was, up there, you know, And so I'm plunged right in the middle of that. And so, but it's funny because I go to this Wonderland Avenue school. And mm-hmm. every single kid there is a product of parents that are in the business. And yeah. a bunch of pretentious yeah little creeps yeah. you know and uh i'm my first day i see this girl coming across the uh the um uh the playground and um she's willowy you know just she's different and mm-hmm. as she gets closer i see she's got this scar on her face and the scar goes from below her eye down her cheek under her chin and onto her neck and it's it's a livid bad scar yeah something happened this she went through she ended up what happened was she went through the windshield of her dad's car and in the in the back window of the car that he slammed into because he was drunk and um uh she comes walking up to me wearing that scar like a badge of honor yeah and she introduced herself and i was done yeah i just was like i found my soulmate Mm -hmm. 10 years old i fell Mm -hmm. in love for the very first time and um the first thing she said to me is how do you like my face (laughs) <laughs> let's get it out the way right I'm now like, i'm like really it's the most beautiful face i've ever seen and we became inseparable so you know um uh, that's if you read my book dead man waking there's a lot yeah. of it devoted to the relationship i had with michelle and um and she was the keeper of my secrets and i was the mm. keeper of her secrets and even though we were very very young 
um, there was a genuineness and a, a, mm. a truth. Processing what you've been Because we were and... the wounded kids, you know? We were the broken ones in this sea of, like, successful, you know? And I'm not saying that those kids didn't have their suffering, didn't have their dysfunction, yeah. didn't have their... But we felt like we were... And eventually our little tribe grew. Like, there was this kid named uh, <laughs> Peter Rand. If you're alive and you're out there somewhere listening, Peter, I love you. Um, he was a Jewish boy. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he used to wet his pants at school. Because he was bullied. And the more he was bullied, the more he wet his pants. And um, he was being bullied on the playground one day by this big kid named Sidney Brignell, who was the bully on the playground. (laughs) And I'm like, "Mm, not having it. And as he he was pushing Peter out of the line in the kickball um, court, uh, I mean the handball court, um, I grabbed this steel lunchbox and beat the crap out of his head with it. Wow. You know, and um, I got kicked out of school. He ended up being hospitalized. Um, Michelle went to bat for me and... uh, all it became this thing between all the parents yeah. and, and and I was reinstated in school and and Peter Rand never wet his pants again, hmm. never wet his pants again. Because maybe know? someone standing up for him, and he there became part him. of our little crew. And there was this other kid named Howie Pearsall, and uh, wow, uh, you know he was a super fat kid, and you know and he was the object of bullying. And Michelle and I were like holding court with these all these broken kids, yeah, like know? a crew. And that's when they probably changed them. Your lunchbox is from metal to plastic, right? <laughs> because of that. <laughs> yeah. Like this, this, yeah. this, this white kid who speaks Spanish. She's a peach law. Yeah. people. But so here's what's important about what you're saying, and I'm just trying to be pastoral, and this is we're living, and we're going to get back into the story, but in a generation of people that are mad at God, mad at themselves, mad at their family, and they're busy just sitting doing drugs, playing video games. They don't have the Michelles. They don't have the communities. I mean, I just watched a video of a friend of mine from years ago whose sister just took her life, but a couple of pastors recently just take their lives. I mean, suicide is on the rise because they are out in the jungles with Chewy, or they do have the dad that doesn't affirm them. Guys, it, it's crazy. Please, like, like I, I sat with a friend and they goes, Brian, I just want to live a life of adventure. You've got to look at it like God is redeeming us in this crazy world, but we need to fellowship, we need to connect, we need to be able to talk about our feelings. Even if you're not a believer, let someone know of the crap you were going through. If Pete would have told me, and I was the older brother back then, just met him, this has happened to you, there's there's people out there that love you, that care for you, they might not even know Jesus, but guys, we got to just get through these years and through these seasons, and that's the goodness of God in other people. Loving you, you know. So, so God was there, got you out of there. Your mom stayed in Mexico, right? Um, and then, so you now is this the first time you've unpacked this to this girl? And she's like, "What is going on?" She unloads her junk. Yeah, you got a couple of friends. I, I remember, man. We were uh, it was springtime, and you know, I don't know if you, you know if you know what anise weed is. It's a it's a tall plant that grows up after the rainfall. And I've heard that of it, and the yeah. mustard, and they grow, you know, like four or five feet high. And the anise weed, you, you break it off and you chew it, and it's like licorice. Mm-hmm. And so we and we lived up a lookout mountain road, and there was this big field of anise and mustard plants. And we're walking home from school, and it was a sunny spring day, and the beautiful clouds above. And we we forge our way into this field, and you know, mm-hmm. it's like it's it's like we made this little area about you know eight feet around, and then we just laid in there on our backs and smoking pot. You yeah. Know, and, yeah. Um, you know, we began to share our stories, and she shared with me how, you know, what had happened to her face. And I shared with her what happened with Chewy. And, mm. you know, what was forged between us that day was, um, you know, uh, it was a really beautiful thing. But, uh, you know, to get past all that and to get, yeah. you know, um, into the towards the biker thing or whatever yeah. else was next. So, yeah. You know, my dad, we were on our way out to a nudist camp for the weekend. 
my 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 little girl Michelle's father was also in the music business and also was a photographer and mm-hmm. somehow the parents and this was not uncommon back then for parents to get stoned with their kids and want them involved because we didn't know any of the perils of addiction or anything. Yeah. Else. I mean, it was like you know the drug use in the '60s um, was exploratory mm-hmm. in a spiritual way. Yeah, you know um, the Beatles were bringing Eastern mysticism and philosophy yep. into the country, and you know people were uh, you know taking LSD. Uh, in a quest. Well, they were tired of war as well. They were tired of, of the it, culture was the racism. You know, the, the and they wanted to just be loving. And... Just yeah, it was a very crazy, crazy time, and mm-hmm. people were looking for some kind of answers. And so it was not unnatural for parents to involve their children in things where today you'd think, "Oh my gosh, that's child abuse." What are we but anyway, doing? so Michelle ends up going with us to these nudist camps on weekends. I'm ten years. We're ten years old, and you know, wow. we're in love with each other, and we're naked. You know oh, what I mean? No. So it was it was crazy, but nothing nothing ever happened. It was like yeah. it became the most natural thing. It, it was yeah. like, it all seemed so. And that's the thing about sin, mm. and the thing about it uh, seems so pure and right. Yeah, and um, you know, then you later you read in the word that you know. <laughs> You shall not see your father's nakedness. You not see, you know. You just shouldn't be seeing anybody Noah's naked sons, unless you're married yeah. to him. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. But we didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like there was a decision to go against what God said because most people, their 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 spiritual seeking was it was just grasping at yeah. straws. Well, there it was, was no, it was new then. I know we had Stephen Bancars on a few months ago and the whole new age. But literally, what you said, most people don't don't get that. The Beatles brought this whole peaceful idea. I mean, even the music exploded because, yes, they were already huge, but they brought in this idea, this move. Then you had hate and all that stuff. I mean, you know, I'm talking about in San Francisco, you had this whole explosion. Even with the Chili Peppers, for for Anthony, he talks about the things his dad led him to. I don't doubt it was similar thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you're ten. Somehow, this is going somehow on. we're on my and my dad's little VW Squareback. We're on our way out to the Swallows Club, big nudist club, first one I went to actually, in San Diego County. And um, somehow, uh, it comes up what happened to me in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And um, in the car with the in people. the car with Michelle and my stepmom Lynn and my father and myself. And uh, and it just got really quiet. And, um, and and my dad didn't speak to me for the whole rest of the weekend. So we dropped Michelle off Sunday afternoon at her house and we get back to our house and it's like eight or eight or nine o'clock at night. And, uh, he goes, go get ready for bed. And, uh, I go in and I get ready for bed and I'm like, I just, this, uh, there's this trepidation, this sense of impending doom that's just hanging over me, you know? And like it's changed since they got brought up. Yeah. And, and totally he, he's thinking about you in a way that's like, I'm going to either go address this or, or, yeah. So he comes in my room and, um, he doesn't say anything. He starts to beat me and he spits in my face and he calls me a faggot. And he turns around and he walks out. And I think that that may have been the greater damage than actually the molestation, you know? And it was years and years and years and years later after he passed and he died saved. Um, uh, you know, I, I went through his personal effects after he died, and I found that he'd been to Harvest Crusade, given his life to the Lord. He had been reading the Word. He had some Bible study books, and, and so I knew he died saved. But I also found a picture, because my dad got sent away to private school when he was seven, never to return. His father was 60 when he was born. No, you know, I mean, Never and, seen him? No, and, and I mean, he saw him, you know, on holidays, vacations. My, my, he didn't have a relationship, though. No, no. This, so, so he's so, operating in what he knows. And what happened was my father experienced the same thing. You know, you found a picture. I that... found a picture of my dad standing next to a man uh, when the man had his arm over my dad's shoulder and the man's eyes had been poked out in the picture. And I knew right then I knew and I forgave my dad immediately because I knew <laughs> I knew I knew that he wasn't he wasn't um, 
he wasn't dude thanks for sharing all this pete man you're just you're, <laughs> you know i know you're encouraging and blessing people it's a that's a lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you knew this picture yeah. that the eyes but what are... happened for me was that was the day i became a tough guy you know mm-hmm. when my dad did that to me i felt so betrayed first he leaves thing. me when i'm four comes back and takes me to news camp when i'm five i don't see him for a few years now i'm living with him in la in this hippie you know community and um hmm. and then that and i i just the next day i became, i was a different person you know and it wasn't long after that michelle's dad got a job in new york and she was ripped out of my life and that but was, isn't that the tough skin isn't that you going you know what there's no one for me and, and here's the thing I, I i've had people that have told me these things happened to me when I was younger and they said, Brian, here was the harder part is when I'm eight or nine thinking about this, I'm beginning to then think about other people who are my age and I've had these thoughts. This is what they're saying. They've had these thoughts their whole life and they go, so I have the most craziest thoughts now. So even for your dad, his going to these nudist beaches, sure, he wanted to be sexual, but then this could have been a process and what had happened to him, overcompensating, here's you. I mean, why would he call you that when that's not how you're living, but you've had this experience? Right. It's more, and, 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 you know, we've talked about Joyce Meyer before. I mean, apparently, I think she told the world she was raped by someone in her own family over 200 times. And she went back to forgive them with her own husband. I mean, that's powerful. Wow. And, and then he, and I believe it was her dad, even said... This had happened to me my whole life. So it's like that animal, sadly, the flesh, just just acting out the curiosity, the perversion, the wickedness that's sitting inside people. Well, you know, there. Satan came to kill, to kill, steal, and destroy. And, 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 and he, you know, mm-hmm. he's very good at his job. Yeah, John 10.10. 10. But the beauty of it is, is that, see, Jeremiah 29.11 says, I know my thoughts toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Yeah. And uh, and then it says, and then you will pray to me and I will listen to you. So God's desire to have fellowship with us and to have a relationship with him, God's goodwill towards us precedes our even understanding who he is. Mm-hmm. It says, I know my thoughts to you, says, Lord, thoughts of good, not of evil, to give you mm-hmm. a future and hope. And then mm-hmm. after that has happened, we will turn to him. We will look for him. We will pray to him and he will, he will, he will listen to us. Are you going to apply us. that right to the cross? My thoughts are good towards you because there's a coming savior, a coming Messiah. Totally. There's the atonement. And then from from the cross, we begin our our now life. So, so did you ever see your dad again after that? Oh yeah. So yeah, I mean, our our relationship was always very estranged, estranged, and because I I went on to heroin addiction and gang involvement and and prison and um you know one day he just stopped getting high, and he became a professor at Compton College and got straight and just turned in you know well he he also got really deeply involved in Kenjutsu Japanese sword swordsmanship and Aikido and all these things. he became a, he basically so he got disciplined basically you know that song I'm turning Japanese yeah. that was my dad oh. you know, he basically oh. turned Japanese you know and I'm pretty sure that was addictive behavior in and of itself but you know but for me at the end of the day what what ended up happening yeah. was you know I I went through years of incarceration you know uh, I I would I would I would go to prison and I, and I would swear I was going to stay clean and yeah. you know I'm, I'm deep in my heroin addiction deep in the gang lifestyle deep in violence mm-hmm. um, but never but always like I mean I remember things happening on prison yards that were very violent and and there's a lot of inflicting of pain onto other people that goes on in the California Department of Corrections and, yeah. and I was okay with that outwardly but I remember I would be in my cell at night and I would be crying into my pillow like this is all and wrong. I'd be, this like, feels. I'd be like God, you know, because I remembered what he told me when I was just a little kid. I'm like, when, 
When? Yeah. You know? And had you not read a Bible yet, or you'd never really... And I would see guys carrying Bibles around the prison yard, and I would be angry. Because to me, you know, um, they were using the Bible as something to hide behind so they wouldn't have to participate in prison politics. Because yeah. you're, 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 you're out And I knew, when you I knew they were going to leave their Bible on the cell floor when they paroled. Mm. Now, I may have been unfair because there were guys, I'm sure, that were sincere. Yeah. But their addiction took over when they when they got out. But so for me, I would never do that. I, I wouldn't do that. But I read voraciously, man. I read mm-hmm. everything that I could read. You know, the classics and Aristotle and all yeah. of it. You know, and, and, and but I would not read the Bible. Well, how much time did you do in prison in that well, time? Well, I did. I did three years, three different times, and then uh, a year, four or five times in the county jail, six months to a year in juvenile hall. So yeah. I didn't do a big giant piece of time all at once. But, but that was the lifestyle. Up 12, 13 years. Yeah, probably. yeah. That's a and, lot of reading. Yeah, a lot of reading, a lot of weightlifting. And um, yeah. and uh, but I, I would get out of prison and um, I would go to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Yeah. And not every time. Yeah. But you know, you just I, felt this bend towards. Well, th- this. it's the thing because I grew up in Laguna and I was involved in the, the Brotherhood Return of Love in the Canyon and a lot of those guys had found their way like Odin Fong. Um, mm-hmm was a shot caller in, in, in the canyon and back in the Brotherhood days, and he'd found his way to Calvary Chapel, and uh, you know, I just heard that there was stuff going on there that was cool. Yeah. And, uh, and so I would go, and I would hear Chuck, and I would believe every word, man. I'd be like, this is the truth. <laughs> but I would feel disqualified. Yeah. You know? I yeah. would feel like if they knew who I was, they'd want me in a different zip code. And so I would run. Well, you maybe heard your dad's voice saying you're a this, you're a that. Uh-huh. And just, and whatever, whether whether it's a dad, whether it's ourselves, whether it's the world, you said it, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We believe that. Yeah. And guys, I'm sure you've been getting encouraged. I know I have, and I just thank Pastor Pete for sharing this. And we're going to continue this in episode two. But this is Brian Sumner with the Foolishness Podcast. Why? Because the message of the cross, it's foolishness to those that are perishing. But as you just heard today, our brother is growing and grown and beloved in the things of God. Why? Because to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Stay tuned for more truth uh, for unpacking some of the darkness of life, but how Jesus shined his light in. For more on me, go to briansumner.net. God bless you guys. Talk to you soon. Amen. This has been brought to you by the One Story Podcast.